Well, good morning. Um, we are venturing back into our walking in the Word, and if you're not sure what that means, that's okay. It doesn't really matter, but uh, we encourage people to be in the Word, uh, and not just on Sunday, not just when you're here in the room and hearing the Word, but be in the Word, reading the Word, because we think that's where um, your best advice is going to come from. Your best ways of change and life development is going to come out of being in the Word. And so what we do during the walking in the Word is I preach out of what you potentially are reading if you're doing a one-year uh, New Testament plan, which is what I'm preaching out of. So today is going to be in Matthew 21. Uh, and my thought for you as we do things like this is that as you read, you should be thinking, what is God speaking to me? I am not the only person in this room that God speaks to. God speaks to his children, and I want us to have a hunger uh, for him to speak to us. Uh, my words can, can be good on Sunday, uh, but when you learn to listen to the voice of God, it will change your life. Here's the one thing I want you to hear today. And it will make sense once we get into the text. A yes without action isn't really a yes. Although we're in February, our search for clarity, which was our series that we just left, isn't over. Um, January isn't the only time that we try to get our brain clear and looking for what change needs to happen in our life. It should be something that we're fighting for over and over. And I want to tell you, as we get into the text today, to not be afraid of conviction. Conviction is your friend, not your enemy. Condemnation, which... They both start with C. That's about where the similarities end. Condemnation tells you that what you've done or who you are is worthless and of, of no value. Conviction is what God does for us to bring change that leads us to life. So the only thing that you should be concerned about is not acting on that conviction. Our best life is seen and experienced as we surrender daily to Jesus. And this is something probably I'll start doing from now on. I don't know why I haven't done this in the past, but I always pray. I've got my notes here, and it says pray next um, before we get into the Word, because I honestly, just like we prayed earlier, I want God to speak to you, not just because of me, but I want God to speak to you. But here's something that I've been asking for you the last couple of weeks. If you want God to speak to you, ask. You don't have because you don't ask. If you need something from God today, if you need to hear His voice and you're struggling with that, ask for God to speak through His Word. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, Lord, right now, You are seated, seated beside the Father, interceding for us. You are cheering for us to know You, to experience You, and to be in harmony with the Father through You. Lord, show us what is truly inside of our heart, which lies hidden between all the other things that we fill our life with. Lord, bring conviction that moves us to change, that leads us to life. Lord, we invite, I ask, not only 
for those in this room, which includes me, but for me, Lord, would you show us who you are in a bigger way today so that we would be eager to respond when you speak. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in Matthew 21. I'm going to cover four verses. I have some other texts in there, but there's four verses. And today we're going to deal with a parable, which a parable is something Jesus used uses to communicate a truth that people aren't really ready to hear, but it tricks them into listening at times and they get sucked into the story and God teaches in and through it. But I need you to understand why he spoke these four verses. So what happens earlier in chapter 21 is there's this thing called the triumphal entry. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. People are worshiping him. The same people that are singing Hosanna, that are laying down palm branches, welcoming their coming king, are the same ones, some of them, that say, crucify, crucify. Our yeses don't always mean yeses. Our words don't always mean what they are, because those same voices that hollered out for Jesus, welcoming him into the city, were the same voices that were condemning him to death. So after he enters in, he goes into the temple and he does something that if you've been around the word, you've, you've heard of it. Jesus whips people. He makes a whip and he goes into the temple and he runs money changers and people selling things out of this area. And there's lots of things that go into why he did that. And he makes this proclamation that my house will be a house of prayer. Jesus was not one of their members of the religious elite. He was not one of their people, and he ran people out of the temple with a whip. Which we'll get to why verse 28 is going to come. In the last few verses before we get into 28, Jesus' authority is challenged. They basically come to him and say, what? What gives you the authority to do these things? What gives you permission to come into the temple and run people out of it? What gives you permission to stand as people praise and worship you? What gives you authority to receive that as truth and not tell them to stop doing those things? And Jesus, being Jesus, says, of course, I'll tell you exactly what you want to know if you'll answer one question for me. He's like, okay. So he said, John's baptism, where'd it come from? And so here, here's the sticky of John's baptism. So most of the people of Israel believe that John's, John was a prophet, that his baptism was from God. And John's baptism differs from the baptisms um, that we, he was calling people to repentance. He was preparing the way to Jesus. But here's the conundrum that they were in because the, the Pharisees, they get in their little holy huddle and they're like, let's figure this out. What can we say? Because if we say that John was from God, then we have to acknowledge Jesus because what did John the Baptist say? He proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah. He, he you know, they have to accept both. But their fear is that if they say that he's not from God, that the people will be angry and maybe run them out of town. So they won't answer Jesus' question. And he says, then I won't answer yours either. 
And then it leads into verse 28. They're unwilling to trust Jesus. Because this is what this is. This is, this is what yes, this is what obedience in our yes means. That we're under authority. That we believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. And because of that, we are obedient to him. When we don't trust, walk, and uh, live our lives according to him, it, we're, we're, we're not trusting his authority. We're, we're saying, oh, you know, maybe we can make better decisions. Maybe we can do it better than Jesus can. And so Jesus wants to change their hearts and minds. I mean, because these are the people that he came from for, his people. And then he starts a story in verse, a parable in verse 28. He said, what do you think? A man has two sons. He leads into a story. They didn't answer his question. He says, a man has two sons. And he went to the first and says, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. See, Jesus teaches hard truths and stories. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, King David did some really dumb things. King David um, had an affair. Um, he had her husband murdered. And because he was king, he was getting away with everything. And the, uh, Nathan was the prophet, the court prophet. And he comes to David. And he doesn't tell David that he's wrong and that he should repent and whatever. He tells David a story. In the story, he tells uh, that there was this wealthy landowner that had all these sheep. And then there was this poor man that only had one sheep and the wealthy landowner went and took that one sheep and he slaughtered it and killed it and took it away and it just riled David up and David and at the end of the story David was like we must take him down and Nathan says that's you so the Bible's filled with these stories, things that we aren't ready. And I think this is what the Holy Spirit does as we get into the Word, is we're not ready for the change that God wants us to bring, so He brings it in a different way. He, he, he brings it into a story. Heads up. No, I don't want to argue about this, but you're one of these two people in the story. The story, as much as this was spoken specifically, to the Pharisees, the religious elite, the religious rulers of the day, the Bible is speaking to us. Matthew fifteen eight for the I go, sir, but don't go. It says this, it says, The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. I think this is one of the biggest issues with the southern Christian is that we speak Jesus, but we don't live Jesus. We speak Jesus in our religious way on social media and with the same voice condemn others to whatever. 
This is what the world is angry at us about because we don't live the words that we say. Verse 31. He says, which of the two did the will of the father? I think the Pharisees just wanted to be right about something. They wanted to answer Jesus after their inability to answer him the first time. They wanted to tell him something. So they answered. The first, the first. They're like David in the story. Yeah, 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 it's that guy's fault. <laughs> Wrong answer. I mean, their answer was right, but they did not know what was coming. So Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you. And I'm going to explain why this is completely insulting. Even more than we would assume. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes Go into the kingdom of God before you. (laughs) I mean, we think, oh, you know, like we don't like the IRS and it's coming that you're going to have to file and you may owe money and that stinks or you might get letters from them. But the tax collector of the day was a person of Israel who was working for a foreign entity that didn't believe in their God, that was ruling what they believed was God's sovereign land and was charging them taxes. And Rome uses the, used the tax collectors to collect the money. And they didn't just collect the money that was necessary to give to Rome. They collected extra. They were despised, hated people. They were the lowest of the lows. And then, of course, the prostitutes, those that weren't trying to fool anybody by their purity. Because that's what the Pharisees did. They, they lived, they existed in this realm where everyone thought that they were the pure ones. Because in their mind, their purity was making them closer to God, was getting them into their kingdom. And Jesus just told them, that tax collectors and prostitutes are going to enter the kingdom before you. And you wonder, as we, this is 21, we're leading to the crucifixion, you wonder why they wanted to kill Jesus. And then in verse 22, 32, it says, For John came to you in the way of righteousness. And you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe. See, John the Baptist came an awkward man, a strange weirdo. I mean, that's what they thought. He had a camel haired suit, he ate honey and locusts and just a belt around him. He was. He lived in the desert. I'm sure he wasn't well cleaned and groomed and fresh haircut and his beard trimmed. But he was speaking the voice of God. And people, the prostitutes and tax collectors, were coming out of the city to be baptized into repentance. Meaning they were, they were being changed, understanding their sin, coming to terms with the need for repentance. And were coming to John the Baptist and were being baptized. 
But the Pharisees sat there and watched because they were just like they did with Jesus. You notice in all these conversations that Jesus has, the Pharisees are always there. Why are they always there? Because they're watching Jesus. They were there watching John the Baptist, and in their watching, nothing pierced their heart. Because they believed that they had it all figured out, that they were right, that they were the ones that were correct, that they had no need of repentance and change. And let me just tell you, there's no one in this room, there's no one that has ever existed other than Jesus on this planet that was not in need of repentance. No one. And let me just tell you, if you've been saved for decades, and you're you are right you stand righteous before God because of what Jesus did for you you're still in need of repentance because we live here in the flesh we struggle with life i mean if you believe that you do not sin anymore there's an issue you may not be what you were as a tax collector or prostitute, not that any of you were those, but I'm talking about how wicked and evil those people were. You may not be what you were, but we are still in need of Jesus. And that's the problem with this road of righteousness that we begin to think that after a while that we've done this. We've made ourselves acceptable. One commentator noticed some similarities between the parable of the two sons that we're reading right now and the parable of the prodigal son, including the fact that both stories end with the father's acceptance of the wayward son. We would also note that the fact that the rebellious child is ultimately restored in both parables is certainly offensive to the hearers. Most representatives of the Sanhedrin would never extend grace to the wicked. But Jesus did. This is the gospel that we need to stay in love with. We need to fall in love with it and we need to stay in love with it because without it, we are lost. You may be already experiencing a tad bit of conviction. I'm going to turn it up a little bit. Uh, Not because I despise you and I like torturing people, but because we need it. We need to be stirred to action. Because if we're not, we will skate through this world, missing opportunities to extend the grace that Jesus wants us to live in. So this is not a question for you to answer out loud. This is not a question for you to answer your spouse by elbowing them or pointing out which one they may be. But which one are you? What does your yes mean? And uh, Jody and I... I think we stole this from somebody else. There's a scripture, I think, in Matthew 5:37, also in James, where it says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Everything else is sin. And so we had this running thing early on in our marriage where, um, not that we openly lied to each other, but we would be joking around or whatever. But if we said yes be yes, the question, it was the end of any jesting. Now, we made rules 
with USPS. You could not discover birthday presents or Christmas presents or any of those other things by manipulating this truth. But if we felt like we needed the security of you telling us that this is your yes, meaning there is no falsehood behind it, we would say, yes, BS. Because that's what we should. We should be people of our word. (laughs) Because we are nothing else. And let me just tell you the grace. Because we could be legalistic like the Pharisees and do all the right things and look good on the surface and miss Jesus, which they did. Or we could be on the other side and make grace so cheap And we abuse Jesus over and over again because we feel that there's this unending pot of grace, which I truly believe there is, but we cannot live like that. That we live in this place that our yes is yes because we understand the grace of both sides. So which one are you? Do your words, yes, communicate to others, your words, are they being communicated by the way you live? Because the one son on the surface at the story, which is, the one son was the Pharisees. He, he was the son that said, yes, sir, I go. But didn't go. They were the ones with their words communicating all the right things, but in their actions, in their lives, they were not. Or are you the one that strives in your imperfection? Hear that. Strives in your imperfection for your yes to be yes. And it's difficult. If you live with anyone, as a child, as a parent, as a spouse, as a rel- if you live with anyone, you understand that it is difficult. To live with your yes about who you are in Christ being communicated all the time. I am even more so aware of my insufficiencies. Because God loves to show me over and over again how insufficient I am. I broke two studs off my my son's car trying to change the brakes. And save some money. Two studs. Two, not one. And you may look at me and go, it's because he's so strong. <laughs> now, that may be true. But my son's car is sitting in our garage. The wheel is back on. The brakes and uh, rotor is replaced on that one side. And there's <laughs> three lug nuts holding it. And it's going to go to the shop. And someone else is going to do the rest of it. And it ruined my day because <laughs> I was trying to do the right thing, which is what our yes is. We're trying to do the right thing. And then life hits us in the face with what is unexpected, which what shouldn't have happened. I didn't expect it to be easy. I am not a mechanic. I am a, um, I'm a user of YouTube. And... If you've made a YouTube video about something that I need to do and it's effective, I'm going to use it and I'm going to try to do it. But that YouTuber didn't break two studs off of one tire. 
And let me just tell you, if you've got a Hyundai Elantra 2011, there's no way to get those studs out without taking the whole hub assembly apart. At all. (laughs) There's that much space. If you don't know anything about studs, it's in this metal plate where your rotor goes on and they're pressed in. You can hammer them in or you can, you know, that's not really how you should do it, but they go in from the back. Well, the back that you've got to get the old one out and the new one in, there's about a half inch without taking the whole hub assembly apart, which I do not. It is, that has exceeded my ability. Well, the, that one moment ruined my afternoon. I was aggravated all day after that. I was just trying to do the right thing. And let me just say, people, in your efforts to be obedient to Jesus, to love Jesus, to walk out what Jesus has asked you to do as an obedient child, you are going to meet resistance. And if you don't prepare for it, it will ruin your day, which will end up ruining other people's day listen to these two verses john 14 21 whoever has my commands and keeps them he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and i will love him and manifest myself to him That's what he's asking. He's not asking, Jesus is not asking for you to raise your hand at an event and say yes to him and let the rest of your life say no to him. That is not what he's interested in. He's interested in us submitting and surrendering because we understand the authority of Jesus, that that what he says is the most beneficial thing for us. And then James 2.14 you ever get too grace-driven, just read James. Just read James. Verse 14, it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Look, let me tell you what I am not. I am not a legalist that thinks that you can earn your right in, in right or position to be in heaven. I do not. It is 100% Ephesians. It is 100% by faith, a gift from God. But that gift, that encounter with the living God should change us, should move us to desire to do the things that he's calling us to do. And I want to tell you, if you didn't hear me just a second ago, I'm not saying doing it perfectly because there's no one in this room who will. In the moment that you think you've done it perfectly, you've entered into pride and sin. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. So what does God want to do with you today? I don't know. I'm pretty sure as I wrestle most Sundays, if you see me up in the corner, um, half the time I will be singing to my ability, which isn't much, as loud as I can, and I'll get words wrong, which really hurts my feelings. 
But the other half of the time, I'm just begging God to do something in me. He loves to expose things to me as I get ready to go up and preach things that I haven't dealt with, things that I'm living under. And so what does he want to do with you? I wish God would give me specific things for every that I could just sit here and go, this is what God wants to say to you, this is what God wants to say to you, this is what God wants to say to you. But here's the beauty of that. Well, if I did that, I would probably be wrong 50, no, 90% of the time. But in this room right now is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has a way of getting through all of the garbage that we're hiding behind, getting through all of the other stuff and speaking to us. And so what I, what we do, and, and you may go, why are we doing another song? Like it's 11 o'clock, Keith. This is great. You're going to get out and be able to get to lunch before any other church. You're welcome. But right now is the moment. <laughs> That all that conviction that you may or may not have been feeling through the last 30 minutes, you deal with. Because ignoring conviction is the only dangerous thing that you'll do today. It's that red flashing light in your car that's saying, your engine is about to blow up, please stop and deal with it. So where's your flashing lights? Where, where are your words not consistent with your life? And just deal with it. Just come to the grace-driven, mercy-overflowing God and say, I am not what I claim to be here, and I need you. Or it may be, I don't trust your authority, but I want to help me. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, right now, with my inability to do what I just said, I pray that you would do it in each and every single person in this room, including me. Show us. We're, we're weak. Show us where we're broken past our ability to fix it. And speak the words that communicate to us that you have the ability Take that broken thing and make it whole again. For this reality of us struggling with saying, yes, Lord, and living that out is the struggle that we will be in for the rest of our breathing days. So, Lord, give us faith today to trust you as you speak, as you encourage and Lord, I pray as we worship, I pray that your Holy Spirit will interweave in our weakness. Just like Paul said, where, where I am weak, Lord, you bring strength. Your grace is sufficient. Thank you, Jesus. Bring life and change today as we choose to worship and surrender to the living God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.